0: Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here? Exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the extraordinarily passionate Dr. Shamala Kiru. Shamala is a clinically trained relationship strategist, fellow podcaster, and founder of the EQ Code, a program designed to help high-performing women build lasting relationships. Based in the greater Toronto area, Shamala has spent the last two decades helping women improve the quality of their lives by transforming their relationships. Her mission is to help women show up as their best self in every area of their life. I'm thrilled to have her here today to share her story. Welcome,
1: Shamala. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: So the one thing that really, well, there's so many things I love about you, but the one thing that really sticks out to me when I think of Shamala and the very important work that you do is that you always bring your life experiences into it. You share your personal stories. And I find that to be so incredibly impactful. It connects people People can relate to you. And I feel like that just levels you up. And one thing that I know you like to talk about and bring into your work is your daughter. And we share a very deep love and connection for our daughters. You have one, I have three. It's Estrogen City up in here and we love it. (laughs) Um, But I would love to hear, because I know you like to call yourself the chief inspiring officer for your daughter. So I would love to hear more about how that drives you, how being her mom drives you in the work that you do?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. And it's, you sort of brought up um, two pieces that really do intersect for me. So it's interesting because you and I have known each other for some time. We've known each other in a variety of different contexts and, you know, you've been following my work and it actually makes me very happy that you have noticed that there are those two elements. And I think they intersect in the sense that, it was in becoming her mom and becoming a mom that I don't, I I, and I don't even know quite how to put it, Kim, but I felt internally very called to show up for her, right? Like I just felt this very profound sense of I need to show up differently. I need to show up authentically. I need to show up Powerfully for her. And I think what ended up happening, and this was not the in, an intentional choice, I think what ended up happening is that then invited me or led me to show up in that way for my clients as well and in my work. You know, I had never decided, it wasn't like a decision. It wasn't like one day I was like, well, I've been doing this for 10 years. I should share more of my own personal experiences. Like it wasn't like that at all. And the funny thing is that I don't even think... I realized I was doing it until my clients would say that to me, or when I was interviewed for different things. You know, the interviewer would say, "I love how you share your personal experiences or your life or or, or whatever it is." But it's it's. It's a bit of a funny thing for me because I hear that a lot now, right? Like that's feedback that I hear a lot. And I didn't realize I was coming across that way. i never intended to do that. And in fact... You know, I think it's in the trailer episode of my podcast where I share that I very much grew up in a context and in a family system where we didn't do that. We didn't share from our personal experiences. We kept things very stoic, very professional. Um, We kept you know what I mean? Like there was sort of this, this private persona, and then there was a a public persona. So I think for much of my life, those two parts of self were very separate for me. And Somehow all of that collapsed in the most beautiful way possible when I became a mom, like somehow all of like that the separation collapsed and not in a unhealthy, unboundaried way, but really in the most freeing way, right? Like I truly feel now, you know, I became a mom at the age of 32 and I'm 44 now. And I truly feel like I feel more comfortable in my own skin now than I ever have And how I look in my skin is different, right? Like it's not, it's not the way that I looked 10, 12 years ago, Um, but I feel really comfortable in my own skin and it feels incredibly freeing to show up as the same version of myself everywhere I go. And thinking of doing it any other way feels incredibly exhausting. Yeah, I
0: can totally relate to that, those different personas. And because we do in in our work, we feel like we need to have this, you know, present this very professional, like this this image that's sort of been defined for us based on what we've always seen other people do, right? Like the people who came before us. Well, I guess that's the way we need to do it. But when we sort of challenge that and go, well, you know, I have the power to choose how I want to show up. And when we can do that in alignment and live, like you said, professionally and personally in alignment is, oh my gosh, that feels amazing. And it's easy. Well, I should say it's done with ease, but it's not easy to get there, right? Because it does feel really uncomfortable to push up against that worry of, am I going to be accepted? Is this appropriate as a, you know,
1: professional
0: person, right?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I don't know. Like, can I remember the first few times I started to share more personally and started to share from experiences? I don't know that I really can. I I think it happened kind of slowly over time for me. But you know, I will say so, for those of you who don't know that are listening, I spent almost two decades as a licensed regulated health professional, as a psychotherapist and a couple and family therapist. I, I no longer practice one to one anymore. But you know, we're heavily regulated, right? Around not so much what we share, but really how we share and in what context is it appropriate and what context is it useful to the client. So there were always those pieces that I was considering and needed to consider. And I certainly did, but I will say that as I shared more and more, and it was a slow journey as I shared more and more openly, you know, it was the one thing that my clients would say really helped them. Like it wasn't any intervention that I used. It wasn't, you know, that I was using like, you know, the latest modality and whatever it was, it's that, wow, you, you made me feel like a a human being. Like you made me feel like you struggle with the same stuff too, or you've, you've gone through that or, you know what I mean? Like you have those thoughts as well. And, uh, you know, I think there's something very humanizing and normalizing about that, right? About just showing up and sharing. And uh, yeah, it's just, I, I think it's a really, I think it's a really beautiful way to make connections.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I was curious about that. I'm glad you brought that up about, you know, in your previous role, not being able to really share because of the regulations and what have you, and now having that freedom in this beautiful role that you've created for yourself as a relationship strategist, which I want you to tell us exactly what that is in a minute, Mm -hmm. but I love that you can create those connections by putting those very personal stories out there. Because like you said, it is humanizing and that is so what we, what we always need, but especially Mm -hmm. now.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. And, um, and now I lead a team of psychotherapists at my clinic. And, and we talk about that often, right? Like how do you appropriately self-disclose because there's appropriate self-disclosure and, and, you know, inappropriate self-disclosure. And there's really, you know, the guidelines are very clear, you know, as a licensed health professional, how to navigate that. So there are some great boundaries in place that really make sense in that context. And you're right, I've I've shifted gears over the last couple of years, I've moved into the coaching space and opened up a second business that allows me to show up differently. And with a very specific type of client, right? I work with a very, very specific type of client inside um, my coaching programs. And I think part of it, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people have asked me, why did I make that transition? You know, all those sorts of things. And I think for me, again, I never imagined just like I never imagined making that transition when I became a mom, Kim, right? Like, I was, it's not like I woke up one day, I was like, I'm going to show up differently. I'm, I'm a mom now. So this, this is what I'm going to do. It wasn't like that. And same thing with that transition out of, you know, regulated healthcare to, to the coaching space. For me, it was, I think, just the natural evolution of who I am, as a a person and what I was feeling really called to, it was also about the types of conversations I wanted to have with my clients and the types of relationships I wanted to have, if that makes sense, right? Like I, I wanted to have a different journey with my clients. And in some ways, maybe a more intimate one, not to say that clinical care therapy is, is so intimate. It's such a sacred space, right? That we hold for our clients, but there's something I call it magical that happens inside group programming, I think for women. And it's kind of what my soul needed. Um, and it's what I really felt called to put out into the world and to kind of create that space. Right. And the beauty of it is the lens with which I do that work, I have that like that twenty years of clinical background, right? But it's yeah, for me, it just it just really felt like the natural transition, and so I sort of joked with a lot of my family and friends. It's like, well, I never imagined retiring from that career at the age of you know when was it forty three that I sort of officially stopped uh, seeing clients one to one, but it it doesn't feel like that at all. It it literally feels like just. Like I'm just still walking down the same path that I'm called to walk.
0: Yeah. A natural progression, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. That's right. So I know one of your core beliefs is that the quality of life is tied to the quality of relationships. I totally agree. So tell us what a relationship strategist is and where this belief
1: came from for you. Yeah, sure. So let me back up a little bit. I um, started out in the field of mental health in my mid 20s. And, you know, at the time I had, I was completing my master's in counseling. And soon after I completed my master's, I realized that the area that I was really fascinated with was understanding how our self-image, our sense of self, our identity intersects with how we experience ourselves in relationships. There were a few courses in my master's program with regards to what we call systemic ways of working with people. So that led me to doing a doctoral degree specifically in couple and family work. So I ended up going really, really deep In the area of understanding relationships, how they function, why they function the way that they do, what creates dysfunction, what keeps, you know, that whole idea of like you'll look at some relationships and they'll have the same rigid pattern for like, you know, years right? And these are two capable, competent, smart individuals, and they can't seem to break this pattern, right? And so I became really fascinated, not only with understanding relationships from a systemic perspective, but understanding the individual within her relationship system. And I say her because really my fascination was with women inside of their relationship systems. And now I've forgotten your question. What was it?
0: (laughs) So what what a relationship strategist is, <laughs> and then also like your your core belief about the impact of the quality of relationships on our on the quality of our lives
1: Right. Right. Okay. I'm back with you. So, and this, this all connects, right? So it's, I think it was like, I I got so immersed in it and what I was noticing time and time again, and I was seeing it in my private practice when I was, it was just me at my psychotherapy clinic. Like I didn't have a, a team at that time. Just, it was like woman after woman, after woman, after woman, I kept seeing really ambitious driven, high performing, high achieving, high powered women that were just killing it in like most parts of their lives or almost every part of their lives. Right. And yet they struggled to show up with that same level of confidence, competence, that empowered sense in their personal relationships. And one of the things I noticed time and time again, I had a lot of women in my practice who I believe were m- being misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety when, and not to say that they weren't symptomatic, but r- really nobody had asked them the deeper questions to understand what was causing those symptoms and what was causing it for such a long t- time. And, you know, nobody was asking the deeper questions. And what I found, I don't know if I could put a statistic to it, but almost like 80 to 90% of the women that I was working with that. You know, had that diagnosis or were headed towards that diagnosis, or were wondering if, you know, that's what was going on is that their um, mental health distress was so deeply connected to relationship distress that there was a strong correlation between them experiencing this distress in their relationships. And distress is not abuse necessarily, although it can be. It's not necessarily fighting all the time. It's not, right? It's not what we traditionally. Traditionally, think of as distress. Like, distress can simply be we don't talk about the things that are really important to me, right? We don't have, like, I don't have the space to have the conversations that I really need to have, right? That's distressful. Like, that just eats away at a woman's soul, in my opinion. And I was seeing this again and again and again. And what I noticed is when we could make shifts to how a woman was showing up in her relationships when we could help her to show up with more confidence and a skill set that allowed her to have the conversations that she really needed to have to make decisions from a place where she was crystal clear on what she could control, what she couldn't control, when she could make decisions based on the results she was looking for in her life, you know, all those sorts of things, her symptoms seemed to dissipate. So not Only was she feeling better in her relationships, but literally the entire quality of her life would improve. She would get a promotion at work or she would start that business she had been thinking about. Like it just began to impact her, not only personally, but also professionally. Wow. Right. So that's the, that's the answer to the, you know, the, you know, I say it a lot. Like I do say that it's on my website. It's, you know, in all the places, the quality of our lives is tied to the quality of our relationships because it is something it's like, for me, it's a, it's kind of a, a value statement for my business, right? Like I really deeply believe it, but I've seen it. I've literally seen that concept play out in the lives of so many women. I've seen it in my own life, right? Like I, you know, when I think about the times in my life where I uh, was really struggling to navigate my relationships, I couldn't show up for my business the way that I wanted to, right? Like I couldn't show like I couldn't show up in the world the way that I wanted to because I felt so heavy burdened by what I was experiencing. And sometimes it was my own experience. Sometimes it was my own mindset. Sometimes it was my own limitations, right? How I was experiencing myself in my relationships, right? Do you remember when we started talking about this? I said, I became fascinated, not just with understanding relationships systemically, but understanding the woman inside her relationships.
0: Yeah, I love that, you are working with women to challenge them to look beyond the symptoms and get to the root cause. I think that's so important. And I honestly have felt and seen and experienced, I'll say in healthcare in general, in my life and with my daughters, that many times that's what we seem to do is look at symptoms, treat symptoms, but we forget to look deeper. And I think it's, it's such a problem. And I love that you are, are going there. That's really mm-hmm. the only way to improve, certainly, those relationships that impact our lives in such a huge way.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel and I think that I have, I have uh, lots of friends and colleagues in different aspects of regulated health care, not just mental health. And I think there is a real push and positive pressure to have deeper conversations with people around their care right? And, and ask those questions and not simply prescribe. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with prescriptions. I I actually don't think that that there is anything wrong with prescriptions. I just, I do think though, that, that people deserve a more thorough conversation around their health. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So all of this fantastic work that you're doing around
1: relationships,
0: tell us exactly what, a relationship strategist
1: is all about. Yeah. So, you know, truth be told, it's a term I totally made up and I totally stand behind. (laughs) I made it up and I stand behind it. You know, I I think what I, what I realized, um, and I think it just takes time to really identify and figure out kind of what your like superpower is and like, you know, what do you put here on the earth to do? And I think for me, as I was working with women, as I did my own work, I still do my own work, you know, my own like deeper work on myself consistently. And as I moved into the space of really coaching women in a group context, what I realized is that we had, we as a society have access to lots and lots and lots and lots of information. Um, There's lots of insight out there. There's a shit ton of self-help books, right? Like, I mean, that industry is like overflowing with resources and despite all of the information and all of the insight and all of the resources available to us, what I realized and I recognize this in my own life, what we lacked and what's missing and where there's a real gap, I think, in the industry is we didn't have any real usable strategies that could really help to move the needle again on how we experience ourselves in our relationships. We can't control other people, right? Like something I believe so deeply, like we can't control other people, nor should we try like, you know, relationship, that's not how a healthy relationship in my opinion is meant to be lived. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want to control my partner. I don't want to be controlled by my partner. Same thing in the parenting relationship, right? Like as our children get older, we want to, you know, we want to move to a position of influence and not of control and, you know, all of those things. But what I found was personally missing for me, despite all of the, I have like, you know, two degrees in this Right. Like, you know, and specifically in this and I was still feeling lost and I was still feeling stuck with all the the abundance of information out there. So for me, I work with women using a, a very like step by step, almost framework that allows us to access the skills that we need to create change. Right. So I always work with women first and foremost on their mindset skills. Right. So reprogramming their subconscious mind. That's the part of our mind that was programmed between the ages of zero to seven. Mm, right, yes. it's that sub, it's that that programming that is constantly running, and if we don't reprogram the subconscious, Kim, like it doesn't matter how badly you want something, how hard you try at something, how you know what you know what I mean. Like no, like every other strategy will fall flat unless you reprogram the subconscious. So that's that's the first pillar of the work that i do as a strategist is i i help women reprogram their old narratives or old relationship narratives or old identity narratives the second piece is we work very strategically on communication skills like Like Those micro shifts, those micro skills that really, I don't think have been defined in a very clear way for us in terms of how do we communicate assertively without being aggressive or passive aggressive or bottling things up or whatever it is. Right. Um, And then finally, it's boundary management right? Is how to relationship management, how do we set boundaries? How do we maintain boundaries lovingly and respectfully and, you know, without guilt and, you know, all of those sorts of things. So for me, when I think relationship strategies. And I think about taking a woman from, you know, whether it's anxious or overwhelmed or stressed or, you know, whatever, she's feeling frenzied to calm and confident and competent and, you know, really feeling like she is standing in her power. That's what I think. I think about the strategies, the strategic framework that will allow her to not only get to that goal, Kim, but like hold it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you've ever made a change in your life, like whether it's to like nutrition or exercise or whatever, like there's one thing about getting to our goal. And then there's a whole, it's a whole other thing to like hold that goal. It's like, okay, now I've embodied it. I've internalized this version of myself. Yeah.
0: So tell me this awareness that you now have and these skills that you now have that you've been teaching women, how has that impacted your own personal relationships?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I've been, I've been married. It'll be 13 years. And I often ask this of my close friends and family, like, do my relationships look different to you? And most of them will say yes, but we can't put our finger on what it is. Like <laughs> we, we can't, like, I don't know. Like, it's not like you guys were like fighting all the time or you were like, you know, biting your, you know, da- your daughter's head off. Like it wasn't, obvious, but it's these these micro, I call them micro shifts. They're micro shifts in our mindset. They're micro shifts in how we communicate. And they've made such a huge difference in terms of the joy and the peace that I experience inside of my relationships. And my relationships are not perfect. They're not. My husband does not meet all of my needs. I don't meet all of his needs. Right. Like I, like, you know, like I still kind of go sideways with some of the parenting stuff. Like these things still happen. I still have conflict with my, you know, mom every now and again, or my sister, like I'm not, and it's not just my family of creation that I like even family of origin, like any of these relationships. So the way for me, I've, I felt the difference is that I've come to a place where regardless of what's happening around me and regardless of where the people that matter most to me, regardless of where they're at in their own lives, I feel very confident that I have the skills to navigate that. Yeah, You know what I mean? Whereas before, like, honestly, my mindset was like, well, things kind of had to go my way. Otherwise I was going to be upset about it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. and That's so powerful. And here's the thing is that It's not like we are taught a class in school growing up on how to relationship, on how to communicate. And these are things that are learned skills from our own upbringings, which have all have some level of dysfunction. Let's be honest. Yes. Right. And that's something I've come to know (laughs) is Mm -hmm. that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, I always think, oh, I came from such a crazy family. And I'm like, actually, everyone has their own level of something. So, which is, it's again, like I'll bring back the word humanizing that we used earlier humanizing mm-hmm. for sure. So we all come into our relationships, whether it's with our partner, whether it's you know, our children, whatever, with these skills that sometimes are pretty good, sometimes are kind of crappy, but it's what we've just learned in all the years of interacting with family and friends in you know witnessing our parents in whatever, right? So it's so important to look at that and ask yourself, are these skills working for me in my relationships, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think we do that. Like, I've, we never do that. So no. it's so important to actually look at that and be like, if it's not working, what can we do to
1: change it, right? Mm-hmm. It
0: seems mm-hmm. so utterly simple, but we never do it.
1: Well, and here's the thing. And I was talking about this with my private coach. We had a coaching call earlier this morning and one of the women was talking about her mindset around money. And I was saying like, here's the thing about our subconscious mind. It is the elephant in the room because it is running the show and it's doing it silently. Like it is like, it's one of those things between the ages of zero to seven, Kim, we don't have a conscious mind. So before the age of seven, we don't have the ability to accept or reject information. We don't have the ability to do that. So everything just gets dumped right into our subconscious. It gets, I call it like a a download, Hmm. right? So our, whoever we grew up with downloaded these templates directly into our subconscious and there they stayed. And then beyond the age of seven, we, again, subconsciously looked for ways to reinforce the original downloads. So here's where it gets so tricky is that the reason we don't even pause to say, huh, is this working for me is because we don't question it. Our subconscious isn't going to invite you into that questioning. It's just not. It wants to stay the same. Mm. It's all it knows. So whatever downloads we received at a young age is your subconscious is like, cool, this is it. This is how we do life, Kim. Yeah. Right. Like this is how, like, this is, this is how it goes down. Those other people over there that are having healthy conversations, they're the ones that are screwed up. Like, you know what I, like, you know what I, like, it's like literally our subconscious is like, this is this because it's all, you know, Yeah, it's all, you know, so you don't even truly have the capacity to question it unless you come into new awareness. Unless, right. Unless someone is like, hold up, Kim, what if you could actually tell another person how you felt? And you might be like, no, why would I do that? That would just (laughs) rock the boat. Like, you know what I mean? Conflict is bad. Like one of the paradigms I grew up with is conflict is bad. Yeah. Conflict could never be good. Mm. Conflict could never be healthy. Yeah. It was never okay. Like there was never a time where it would be okay for conflict to be present.
0: So you just stuff that down, right? Suppress it Yes, and move on. Right.
1: Yeah. That's it. Right. So when, and my partner grew up in a very different type of family. So when he would give me feedback or he was honest or he were, I was like, this is conflict. Conflict is bad. I can't go here. Like it was just an immediate thing. And I'm someone who's trained in this stuff. But that is how powerful our subconscious is. It'll override all of that. And it's not until it really comes into your frame of awareness that you're like, well, wait a minute. It took me a long time to even say to myself, to say to my subconscious, well, well, what if it wasn't? So what if it wasn't always bad? Okay.
0: My mind is just like, I'm. it's blown. <laughs> it's blown. So what I want to invite all of our listeners to do is to meet your subconscious, shake hands and think about it. Right.
1: Challenge question. Yeah. It's so important. It's so important. And that's why I think it is so vitally, vitally critical that we have podcasts like yours, that we have women spaces where we are having these conversations, because how do we come into a new space of awareness? How, like, how did I do it? By hearing stuff like this, by reading stuff like this, by having conversations with other women that were maybe a few steps ahead of me that were like, but Shamla, what if, yeah. right? What if, right? Like, the, you know what I'm saying, Kim? Like the, oh, these yeah. conversations, these spaces are what transform lives thank you for saying that because that is so
0: what this is all about is sharing and learning from each other. And what comes to mind for me right now is if there's something that isn't working and you get that little tap, tap, tap on the shoulder, right? Something that's gnawing at you in, you know, in the relationship space or just in general, but specifically we're talking about relationships today, but don't ignore it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There, there's a, there's a, there's a, a crazy idea. There is a crazy idea. Don't ignore it and question it and challenge it. Because if it's not working for you in that relationship, odds are the other person in the relationship, it's not working for them either. So Mm -hmm. ask the questions, have the uncomfortable conversation and figure it out and figure out, you know, learn the skills that can make it a healthier space. Right.
1: Yes, one of the things, and you know, you've you've done um, one of my free events inside uh, our Facebook group. Is there's two there's two words I use often. It's courage and integrity. And I think that when we get that tap on the shoulder, that little nudge, 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 that's like oh, I don't know about this, and we get so used to ignoring it. You know, it it takes I think a lot of courage, a lot of personal integrity to listen, right? Yeah. Which is what you're saying is really to just pay attention, entertain the possibility, entertain that. What if this isn't the case? What if there's an alternative here? What if there's another possibility here? Yeah. What if I could see things differently? Yeah, absolutely.
0: If you could boil the life lesson that you have learned down into a couple of sentences that would inspire
1: the women listening, what would that be? Gosh, that's that's a tough question. I think the life lesson is to get in touch with those stirrings inside of you right because if i were to be really honest and i think you know those those honest conversations that i've had with my clients they were invited like their body, their mind, their intuition was inviting them into a space of challenging the status quo, challenging their old paradigms, challenging their limiting beliefs so many times across their lifespan. But we get really good at ignoring those stirrings because they're scary. It's yeah. like, shit, I don't want to look at that. Like, right? Like, I don't want to change, right? Like, we are, and again, our subconscious wants to keep us exactly the same. So it's pay attention like first is just just pay attention and start a conversation. Like start a conversation with a girlfriend that you trust. Start a conversation with a therapist that you trust. Start a conversation in a community or with a coach, like someone that you trust that can hold the space for you to just do the what ifs. You know, one of the yeah. things I always say to my clients is if by the end of this conversation you decide you don't want to change a damn thing in your life, that is fine. But let's just, let's just ask ourselves, what if? Because we yeah. often stop ourselves from even asking the what if, because we're like, but that means I'm going to have to change. No, you don't have to. You get to decide. There is
0: right? yeah. There's great power in that. Oh, I love all of what you're saying. So good. So tell me what is next for you? What excites you about the future?
1: What excites me about the future? So I am, I am very, very, very excited about the outcomes that we're seeing inside the EQ code is my signature program specifically for women. There's something I've said it. I've said it before. I've been interviewed on a a few podcasts recently. There's something about the group model, Kim, that really, really excites me. And remember I was saying, you know, I think it, this was just a natural evolution, natural progression. There's something about the level of accountability and collaborative learning and transformation that happens inside group programming, where I think we're just able to experience and deliver more predictable outcomes. Right, like There's just more predictability with the outcomes that women are seeing inside this type of programming. So I'm super excited about that. I'm really ex- excited about expanding the reach of the EQ code. We are now beginning to have a more global reach. We have women from all across the world that join us inside. It's a six-month um, coaching program specifically on relationship skills. So really, really excited about that. And just just, you know, so much of my heart and passion these days is being poured into literal developing like literally like a you know, world class training program for women so that they have access to really at the end of the day, their emotional intelligence skills. Yeah. Right. That's what it is. It's emotional intelligence. But we're not unfortunately, we're not taught that anywhere else. Yeah, I
0: definitely see the value of the group program in terms of that, just, I I always find that being welcomed into a community of women, just that in itself has such power. And then when you open yourself up and, you know, just and share yourself vulnerably, the connections that come from that are, are so meaningful. So I, I love that you've set it up
1: that way. Yeah, me too. I'm so grateful for the two decades that I spent in one-to-one care. Um and I'm so ready for for this leg of the journey and it's not for everyone, right? Like it's it's um a very specific clientele. It's women again, you know, that are are really executing at a pretty high level in most areas of their life and they're really wanting to drill down on these specific skills and a lot of the women inside the program are you know, they're they're entrepreneurs or business owners, or their sort of C-suite, you know, within their, their organizations or their practitioners, but they're, they've sort of got this, a certain level, I would say of professional success. They're really looking to amplify that, but then also have that same level of success personally as well.
0: Absolutely. To just be completely fulfilled. Yes. Yes. Right. And I think we all deserve that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's not one or the other, right? No, it's not. Not not anymore anyway. Mm
1: -mm, Not at all.
0: So tell me, are you ready for the final five?
1: I am ready. I love, I love (laughs) these rapid fire questions. They're always so much fun.
0: (laughs) I hope that you say that after they're done. No, I'm kidding. No, they are fun. These are the same. (laughs) These are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first Mm -hmm. is if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Okay. This
1: might not be a superpower, but if I could do anything, it would be dance. I've always just like admired the creativity that dancers have with like their, their body and the music and the, all that kind of stuff. And anyone that knows and loves me knows that I'm a terrible dancer and almost an even worse singer. But like, I, I think that I always joke, you know, if, you know, if I could be one thing when I grew up, it would be to be a dancer. Oh, you've just answered
0: the next question. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you say that about the dancing. I am also a terrible dancer. Um, and I, I was interviewed on a podcast, uh, I think it was last week. And for um, like the the little pre-interview part before we press record, she likes to do a little dance party to get the energy up, oh, to get wow. the vibe going. And I was like terrified. I'm like, do I have, to? Like, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, I have the worst moves, but it was was actually really fun and the energy was amazing, but right. I was like, oh my gosh. Anyway, so the, que- the next question was, uh, when you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? So, Well, no,
1: no, let me answer it because I did not think I would be a dancer. Oh, okay, to be a dancer. Those are two different things. Um, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. That's what okay. I had like. That was the thing growing up. I was like, yep, I'm going to be a pediatrician.
0: Well, you're definitely a helper and of service to people in a beautiful way. Thank you. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be?
1: Sushi. Ah, okay. Sushi. Mm -hmm. Loves. And I miss it. You know, we're in lockdown. I don't know when this is going to be released, but yeah, miss going out for sushi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Soon. I I hope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who is a woman in history or present day you admire? Not a woman, but my daughter. Yeah. Tell me why. She's She's so different. You know, it's so interesting. Like, so she's an only child. I was the eldest of three in my family. And, you know, I look at her, the way she's able to articulate her thoughts, her feelings, her needs is so remarkable in a way that I never was able to. Right at her age, or let alone at like two or three times her age. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I really do, I admire her. Like I admire just her, her confidence. And it's, you know, she's not, she doesn't always feel confident. There's stuff that gets her down or whatnot. But there's something about the way she is able to hold her opinion, the way that she's able to hold her space, the way that she's able to communicate that I really, really do admire.
0: Well, and I think that has a little something to do with her mama,
1: just saying. <laughs> I'll, I'll take just a touch of credit, but I, you know, <laughs> I, we, we joke, my fam, my family of origin jokes that she sort of, she came like, she sort of came out that way. Like she was just like, all right, world, I'm ready. Oh, I love it.
0: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And last
1: but not least, what is your favorite quote? I have so many, Kim, but one that comes to mind, and I don't know who said it, but I do remember the first time I saw it um, as I was training to be a clinician. One of the things we have to do is we have to get clinical supervision. And uh, one of my first clinical supervisors became a mentor to me and a woman, another woman that I deeply respect. So that was a tough question to answer as well. She's retired now from clinical practice, but I remember going into her office for clinical supervision one afternoon and she had this little picture frame sitting in the waiting room and it said, all things change when we do. And mm -hmm, all things change when we do. I, I would look at it every single time I went in and I would read it and I would kind of turn the words over in my mind, all, all, th- and I would put emphasis on, you know, different words and it's really, it stayed with me. And I don't think I realized how true those words would become for me at that time, you know, cause I was new and I was green and I was, you know, all the things, um, but all things change when we do is so true for me and so yeah. profound for me. And I, I believe that on a, on a very core level. Mm,
0: I love that so much. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. Oh, I just, I had a great time chatting with you.
1: Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Kim.